On this episode of Rev Hang, Ben and I talk about the MotoGP French Grand Prix, the GMR Grand Prix at Indy, the IMSA race at Mid-Ohio, and the Formula One Spanish Grand Prix. Let's do it. Hello everybody, and welcome back to Rev Hang. I'm your host, Nathan Nevue, and with me today from a far-off high desert is my good friend and co-host, Ben Bagley. How are things in the desert, Ben? Uh, pretty good. Just in, enjoying a little bit of a heat wave we've got. Uh, we're supposed to get a little bit of rain and sleet this weekend, so got to soak it up while we can. I seem to recall not two weeks ago you complaining about the snow, and now you're talking about a heat wave. Well, the heat wave is nice. The rain that's coming this weekend isn't as nice when you're trying to uh, paint a race car. That is fair. I could see that causing some problems. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, we have three races to talk about today. The MotoGP French Grand Prix at Le Mans, the IndyCar Grand Prix of uh, in Indianapolis, and the Formula One Pirelli Grand Premio de España 2022, otherwise known as the Spanish Grand Prix. And uh, we'll also touch a little bit on the IMSA race at Mid-Ohio. Just briefly. Just briefly. So four races, I lied. All right, let's start out with MotoGP. Um, the French Grand Prix took place in Le Mans, France, which is, if you racing enthusiasts know, where the 24 Hours of Le Mans comes <laughs> is. Um, it's the same track, uh, or it's the track's in the same location. It's a little shorter uh, than the Le Mans track. It's just a tad shorter. <laughs> just a tad. The 24 Hour of Le Mans racetrack is like, what, seven miles long or something like that? Longer than that? It's way longer than that, actually. I think it's like 11. I don't know. Um, but the MotoGP racetrack is just a normal, if not even small, racetrack uh, for, you know, it's purpose-built for smaller cars rather than the World Endurance cars, which are way faster. <laughs> but that being said, let's just get into, let's do the top 10 qualifying. Um Starting off on pole position was Francesco Bagnaia, followed by Jack Miller and Alessa Espargaro. In fourth place was Fabio Quartararo, and then Enea Bastianini, Joan Mir, Alex Rins, Jorge Martin, Joan Zarco, and Marc Marquez, rounding off the top ten. So, this race was more exciting than the last couple. It was fun to watch. Uh, Bastianini had a really good start. He jumped from 5th to 2nd by, like, the first turn. So, really good uh, launch on his bike, uh, as well as the Ducatis, Francesco Bagnaia and Jack Miller riding those. Um, they led the first, like, half of the race. It was uh, Bagnaia made a pass for the lead on lap 4 after Jack Miller took it from him on the first lap. And then uh, Bastianini kind of pulled out a gap, um, or Bagnaia did, and then Bastianini passed Jack Miller to get into uh, second place. Um, it was kind of chaotic at the start. There was a lot of moving around, lots of shuffling. Yeah, but, we uh, saw a lot of, uh, it was pretty warm there, so we saw a lot of front tires just get overloaded and wash out. We saw probably, what, four or five crashes over the course yeah. of the race? Yeah, lots so. of crashes. <laughs> Uh, heartbreak for Alex Rins and Joan Muir, who crashed out. They, uh, from qualifying, started 6th and 7th, 
and they just couldn't hold on. And then uh, if you want to talk a little bit more about what happened to uh, poor Ben Yaya in his little duel with Bastianini for the race lead. Yeah, at the end of the race, it was there were only a few laps left. Um, Bastianini made a pass on Ben Yaya for the lead, and Ben Yaya, in response, uh, tried to break a little bit too late and ran wide of the corner. He luckily avoided the gravel, which is pretty much a death sentence for motorbikes, as uh, Alex Rins demonstrated. Um, <laughs> he ran wide, which let Bastianini go through pretty easily. Uh, he was following in second a couple of a couple of seconds behind. It wasn't too bad, but then later on that same lap, he ended up washing out and uh, ending his race with a DNF. Yeah, he pretty much, it looked like he was going to be able to re-enter the track okay after he went through the dirt, but uh, right as he hit the curb, his bike jumped up a little and just, it just went out from underneath him. He ended up crashing at a pretty fast speed considering he had just gone through the the dirt trap. Yeah. Oh, that was uh, Alex Rins. That was his... uh, Was it? That was early on. I was, yeah, so Ben Yaya was the one that went wide and then crashed later that lap. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and then Rins was earlier on. As yeah, like I said, he demonstrated the gravel trap is not fun for bikes. He went way off, and uh, pretty much had to just straight line it through through the uh, the corner. Well, cutting the corner essentially, because you can't really turn on gravel. Um, but yeah, like you said, he almost saved it coming out of the gravel trap, and then uh, but the second he caught traction, it just flipped his bike over. I think the torque just kind of. <laughs> took over but yeah so that was actually kind of a scary crash because he hit his head pretty hard on the on the ground on the way down but he ended up being okay he got back on his bike and i think rode back to the pits or to a marshall post or something so glad to see him okay yeah and uh on the plus side ducati's doing real well jack miller had a really good race I was wondering if he's going to be able to uh, hold on to the lead, especially battling Corderaro for that third place, uh, and then ended up being able, after the uh, Benyai crash, he ended up being able to pull out a second place finish. Yep. Yeah, very good race for Jack Miller, uh, and just Ducati in general. Ducati, yeah, like you said, Ducati is absolutely running away with this championship. They have so many quality riders, and they're always at the front. They have really good bikes. Um, Honda is struggling at the bottom of the championship right now in terms of the constructors. They have they have good riders, uh, but their bikes aren't really on the pace. Um, seven-time world champion Mark Marquez struggles to get 10th place in uh, a lot of the races. Well, I wouldn't say struggles. He, he has to ride a lot harder than he does to get halfway decent results i'll put it that way um so honda uh is having a little bit of a rough year and ducati is having a fantastic year um on on another note uh aprilia is kind of in the middle of the field right now with uh alesa spargo leading the charge on their team he is having a fantastic season he's been so consistent and uh has finished let me see yeah he's finished every single race and has been in the top five for all but two of them so five of the seven 
Yeah, which is gotta be really difficult. Yeah, it's really hard to do that in MotoGP. And speaking of consistency, Jorge Martin DNF'd yet again. <laughs> so he's having a really, really rough season. I, I, I don't know if it's you know affecting his head that much. I, I don't know how it couldn't be. Um, but he has he hasn't finished five of the seven races we've had this season so far. So it's not yeah. a great trend. <laughs> No, I'm sure he's looking to uh, turn that around, considering yeah. he's basically mirrored Max Verstappen's season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex Rins has been having some some troubles these past few races, too. Because if I'm not mistaken, he DNF'd the last race, too, correct? I believe so. Let me double yeah. check on that. Um, yes, he did. He did DNF the last two races. But he is still sitting in fourth place in the driver's championship yeah he was doing so well in the previous races he's he's got a little buffer but uh probably not for much longer so hopefully he's able to keep his wheels underneath him for these next races yeah he's a quality rider i'm sure he'll he'll get his feedback under him um let's go over the final order uh in the race in first place winning was in Bastianini, followed by jack miller and alisa spargaro rounding off the podium and then in fourth place was Fabio Cordararo, the Frenchman, followed by the other Frenchman, Johan Zarco, and then Marc Marquez and Taka Nakagami, Brad Bender, Luca Marini, Maverick Vinales in 10th place, in 11th, Paul Espargaro, Marco Bezzecchi, followed by Fabio Di Gianantonio, and Alex Marquez, Franco Morbidelli, Andrea Davizioso and Darren Bender rounding off the finishers. And the non-finishers were Miguel Oliveira, Francesco Benyaya, Jorge Martin, Juan Mir, Raul Fernandez, Alex Rins, and Remy Gardner. Alright, that rounds off our MotoGP for this week. Let's move on briefly to IMSA and the Grand Prix at Mid-Ohio, taking yes. place in Lexington, Ohio. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually watched an IMSA race at Mid-Ohio before. I actually kind of like the track. Uh, not excellent passing opportunities, I didn't think, but these cars and the drivers are so fearless when it comes to passing on the outside that they can make a lot of things work. Uh, speaking of that, Ricky Taylor, the main highlight for me this race is towards the end, I think it was about the 25-minute mark, Ricky Taylor had a great overtake in the DPI class, just right on the outside, you weren't sure if he was going to actually make it. He kind of briefly touched the dirt. I can't remember who he was sparring with. I can't... I know his name. I can't remember it right now. But uh, he managed to hold on to the outside and ended up just cruising into the lead. And then the uh, McLaren team and the number 70 car had a great run at the final lap. Uh fuel run they're really just counting off of making it off pure strategy and speed and they're able to hold on to it so it's a pretty cool race and i'll have to uh keep better track of the races that go on there more often yeah absolutely uh, mid ohio is a great track and uh a lot of people in indycar especially say that uh it's their favorite of the tracks on the calendar so i mean if that says anything that uh that's some pretty high praise from some pretty high up racers. Yeah, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, so let's uh, just go over. Oh, can, I, can I do What's the that? class winners? Yeah, go yes. for it then. 
Okay, so for DPI, obviously, like I said, we had Ricky Taylor and Felipe Albuquerque's teammate. For LMP2, we had Henrik Hedman and Juan Pablo Montoya, who actually had a, a pretty good race this time, uh, especially compared to the previous race where he seemed to have some troubles with the car. In LMP3, yep. we had John Bennett and Colin Braun. And in GTD, no GTD Pro this time, we had Brendan Ereb and Jordan Lee Pepper. Thank you for putting the pronunciation for Ereb in the script. Yeah, it took me a, a solid 10 minutes to figure that out. <laughs> well, it uh, it saved me a lot of embarrassment. So, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, so uh, right. let's move on to IndyCar, which was very exciting. IndyCar, oh, this was such a fun race. Uh, this this race was the GMR Grand Prix, which took place at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in Indianapolis. Uh, this was not the oval that you're probably uh, familiar with. This was the road course, which uh, is the track on the in inside of the oval. Um, IndyCar runs here twice every year. Well, not every year, I don't think, but this year and the last year for sure. They run this track twice, once kind of towards the beginning of the season, which is this one, and then once near the end. And yes. then they do the Indy 500 as well. Yep, and this wasn't just week. any road course race. This was a wet road course race. This is, yeah, it was a wet road course race, and to be honest, I think this was my first wet IndyCar race. I don't think I've ever, it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, me too. Because most of them are like in like the southern U.S., so not a lot to not a lot of rain. Uh, there is the Grand Prix of Portland, which I would imagine would get rain probably about half the time, knowing Portland. Yep. <laughs> but anyway, we are in Indianapolis. It was raining and it was chaos. <laughs> it was very cool. Yeah. So we'll go through. Let's just uh, the, for the qualifying order. They'll do the top ten just for some context. In first place, taking pole position was Will Power, followed by Alex Pillow, Joseph Newgarden, Connor Daly, Pato Award, Felix Rosenqvist, Callum Eilat, Christian Lundgaard, Jack Harvey, and Roman Grosjean. So, yes, it was a wet race for pretty much the entire thing, but it was changing back and forth between wet tires and slick tires, which made it very very interesting you don't see that too much especially like in formula one yeah and getting to see the drivers try to manage between them and the uh, overlap when they had slicks and it was starting to get wet or when they were trying to transition off the the wets onto the slicks to see how they're able to manage their cars yeah it's very much a strategy and you know it it feel feel even just a feeling based race where you know, you make or break your race based on what lap you put on, <laughs> and it's uh, it it's just it's all it's it takes so much skill to have that feel on the car to know exactly when the tires cross over. Uh, of course, you have the assistance of the engineers who are looking at lap times constantly, but it's the driver ultimately who's driving the car and knows how much grip he has. So. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 always gonna be a wild race. And if we're talking about it's drivers who really drove their car, obviously you got to talk about uh, Colton Herta, just for the entire yeah. race. Yeah, full speed ahead the entire race. That man did not stop. He qualified, I believe, fourteenth. Yes, fourteenth, and cut his way through the field 
and was pretty quickly up at the front in first place, uh, or thereabouts, and uh, he drove so fantastic. He almost lost the car once, but managed to <laughs> managed to save it. He went around a corner, lost the rear end, and was pretty much at a 45-degree angle for a solid three seconds. <laughs> yeah, and then ended up barely losing any time to a ward who was in front of him at the time. Yeah, no, that was because Award also was struggling on tires. You could see him sliding around. So Herda not only saved his car, but managed to get away with it pretty much completely with no consequence. Yeah, just a really impressive race for him the entire way through. Uh, he had a great, a great pass on several cars coming out of the pits um, later yeah. on during the race when it was it was real wet again. He was able to leapfrog a whole bunch of cars, and that was when we saw a lot of people, uh, McLaughlin, and uh, just a whole bunch of cars just spin out, and Colton Herdo kind of used that to get back up to first. Yep. Yeah, there were lots of spins. Pedro Award spun. He, <laughs> he spun into his teammate, uh, which ended up taking his teammate out of the race. Um, <laughs> so not, not ideal for the McLaren team. But, uh, yeah, Takuma Sato spun off, Graham Rahal spun off, Marcus Erickson even spun. But speaking of Marcus Erickson, he had a fantastic race regardless of the spin. He uh, managed to avoid most of the chaos and went from qualifying uh, 18th to finishing 4th, which was kind of nuts. But even more remarkable was the drive by Simon Paginot, who just drove a really quiet race but ended up all the way at the front by the end he qualified 20th and finished second which is just remarkable yeah just another reason to love these wet races is anything can happen from qualifying to the actual race day yep white races are so unpredictable in especially in single seater racing so yeah anything can happen and uh we see these crazy races where people get shuffled around all over the place. But um, let's just go through the finishing order real quick. Uh, winning the race was Colton Herta, followed by Simon Pagino, and then Will Power, Marcus Erickson, Connor Daly, Felix Rosenqvist, Takuma Sato, Callum Eilat, Christian Lundgaard, Scott Dixon, Alexander Rossi, David Malukas, Jack Harvey, Helio Castroneves, Tatiana Calderon, Graham Rahal, Roman Grosjean, Alex Pillow, Pato Award, Scott McLaughlin, Devlin DeFrancesco, Jimmy Johnson, Rena's VK, Juan Pablo Montoya, Joseph Newgarden, Kyle Kirkwood, and Dalton Kellett rounding off the order in 27th place. There are a lot of IndyCar drivers. <laughs> um, so I was mistaken. Felix Rosenquist was not taken out by his teammate, I guess. They did crash into each other, but Felix ended up finishing sixth ahead of Award, quite a bit ahead of Award. So, good recovery, I guess. I didn't really see his race after his crash. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and then Juan Pablo Montoya having a busy weekend racing in, uh, in IndyCar here, and then also at that Grand Prix at Mid-Ohio, and then... He had Indy 500 qualifying this weekend, and then the Indy 500 next weekend. He's a busy guy. 
hopefully his uh, Indy 500 goes a bit closer to his IMSA standings than his uh, IndyCar result this past weekend. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> hopefully for him. Um, but yeah, the the next race in the IndyCar series is the Indy 500, which means double points for all the drivers. It's a very important race as it counts basically for two. Uh, the 106th running is set to run on Sunday, May 29th at 12.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or 4.45 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time to save the folks across the pond some math. Yeah, walk me through kind of how they do qualifying for the Indy 500 because it's not, it's not normal qualifying like you would expect for uh, something like F1 or MotoGP. Right. Indy 500 qualifying is pretty unique. Um, the instead of having times to set, you say you do four laps, and your lap your speed you, they take the average speed from each of those four laps, and then they average those together, and that is your average speed or qualifying speed, I guess. And then the qualifying order is set by speed, with the fastest driver being in first and the slowest and last, as you would expect. So uh, they go out one at a time, which is why qualifying takes like three days because <laughs> there's a ton of drivers. So many drivers show up for the 500. It's way more than just normal IndyCar. Um, this is kind of the big event that you get a lot of one-off teams and people entering, uh, which is why the field is so massive. But so they go out one at a time, do their four laps, and then there's an elimination. I don't remember exactly where the elimination levels are I think it's the top 10 get through and then it's the top six after that I know it's the top six at the end for sure uh, but then you go out and you do four more laps they do, do they average those speeds and uh, go on to the next level and so on but uh, Scott Dixon his average speed was 234 miles an hour for his final qualifying run which put him on pole position, and also just a fun fact, that's the second fastest qualifying speed we have ever seen at Indy. Yeah, 234 miles an hour is no joke. That's uh, it's a little bit faster than a Formula 1 car at top speed. Yeah, it is. It's actually quite a bit. At, at most tracks, I mean, even at, at Monza, I think the top speed of the F1 cars was like 208 or 210. So you're talking 20... 25 miles an hour faster than an F1 car can go physically, pretty much. Yeah, um, yeah, it's seriously shocking speed to go around this oval. Yeah, one thing to note is Indy 500 cars are different specs than regular Indy cars. It's a completely different chassis, and it's designed differently, so um, they are more purpose-built for that race, and just to go in a straight line. But they do have significantly less downforce than an F1 car. And the reason being, you don't really need it when you're going in a straight line. And if you're creating downforce, you're also creating drag, which just slows you down in that straight line. So the whole the whole goal of setting up the car is to run with the least amount of downforce possible. Um, while still maintaining enough to stick to the track in the corners. Yep, and that's where the uh, the fun stuff happens with uh, overtakes and managing tires and all that is how you can manage the limited amount of downforce while also maintaining the absolute fastest speed you can. 
Yep. The the 500 is one of the most insanely mental races of <laughs> of any race out there, really. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of what determines whether or not you win isn't just, you know, pedal to the metal and trying to pass all of your opponents as fast as possible. Because if you do that, you're going to be in first place pretty quickly. <laughs> um, but you won't stay there because the race is all about tire management and fuel management and um, shifting the weight around in the car. They have leverage in the car to uh, affect the balance and uh, general uh, handling of the car. So it's it's super complicated, and it's definitely a mental game. Um, yeah, and then multiply all that management times 500 laps. 500 miles. 500, 500 miles. I, I keep... <laughs> You did it okay. again, Ben. You did it again. It's fine. <laughs> 500 miles. So 500 miles, 200 yeah. laps. Yep. That's, yep. Okay. I'll remember this time. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, so with all that being said, I'm very excited for the Indy 500. I was lucky enough to get to go to the race in 2017, so it's kind of got a special place in my heart. And um, really looking forward to seeing what happens. I think it'll be fun. To, to watch there's a lot of really fast drivers at the top of the field so yeah let's just get into the qualifying order in the first row it's rows of three they go in instead of two like normal the first row is scott dixon alex Pillow, and renas vk second row ed carpenter marcus erickson tony canon third row pato award felix rosenkvist roman grosjean Fourth row, Takuma Sato, Will Power, and Jimmy Johnson. Fifth row, David Malukas, Joseph Newgarden, Santino Ferrucci. Row six was Simon Pagino, J.R. Hildebrand, and Connor Daly. Row seven was Callum Eilat, Alexander Rossi, and Graham Rahal. Row eight, Sage Karam, Marco Andretti, and Devlin DeFrancesco. Row nine, Colton Herta, Scott McLaughlin, and Helio Castroneves. Row ten, Kyle Kirkwood, Dalton Kellett, and Juan Pablo Montoya. Row 11, Christian Lungard, Jack Harvey, and Stefan Wilson. And that is it. A couple of notes there. Juan Pablo Montoya's way at the back, so it doesn't look like he's gonna... Well, you never know. And he's super un unpredictable, but not a super great qualifying for him. Yep. Yeah, not for uh, Colin Herta either. Yep, Colton Herta had kind of a rough qualifying on row nine. Also in row nine is Helio Castroneves, who won the race last year. Yep. So, interesting there. Anything can but change. Anything can change, and everything will change, because Indy is absolutely nuts. <laughs> yeah. Speaking All of right. nice races. Yes, let us move on to the Formula One Pirelli Grand Premio de España 2022. Thank AKA you. the Spanish Grand Prix. <laughs> yep, had to get these sponsors in there for Ben. <laughs> so, this race was pretty nuts. Coming into the weekend, we pretty much expected Ferrari to kind of, kind of be up near the top like they always are. Um, and they were, they were, they were definitely the fastest car this weekend. Yeah, there's not a lot of competition on that front. Yeah. So they, they absolutely dominated qualifying. Um, Verstappen put up a really good lap to get ahead of Sainz for P2, but Sainz was right on his tail, I think less than 
less than a hundredth of a second uh, back. So, yep, Ferrari's really fast again. Um, Perez had a pretty good weekend. Uh, we'll get into that. But let's just go through the qualifying order real quick in first place with pole position was Charles Leclerc, followed by Verstappen and Sainz. Fourth was Russell, followed by Perez, Hamilton, Bottas, Magnussen, Ricardo. Tenth place was Mick Schumacher, followed by Lando Norris, Esteban Ocon, Yuki Tsunoda, Pierre Gasly, and Guan Yu Zhou. Sixteenth was Vettel, followed by Stroll, Albon, Latifi, and Alonso. Yeah, and it's important to note that Alonso is in 20th because he had an engine change. Yes, Alonso did qualify 17th and then was given a grid drop because he changed his engine, presumably for reliability concerns. Yep. Yeah, another thing to note, that uh, Schumacher and Magnussen both made it into Q3 this race. Yeah, both Haas drivers made it into Q3, so really cool to see. I think this was Mick Schumacher's first Q3 ever. Yep, it's been a while since you've seen both Haas drivers in Q3. Yeah, I think they put up a stat. I think it was Brazil 20... I want to say 2019. That sounds sounds about right. right, yeah. Yes, the end of 2019, yeah, because that was right before they got really bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been a hot second since uh, they've both made it into the last round of qualifying. So really good job for them. Um, then other than that, the order is pretty much the same as it has been. But let's just go into the race. At the start, Carlos Sainz uh, dumped the clutch a little too hard. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that didn't that didn't set him up super well at the start of the race. Yeah, he he went into anti stall. So basically the car has a system where if you're gonna stall the car it will it will engage the clutch for you to keep the car from stalling, because if you stall that's that's your race because F one cars don't have don't have ignition keys or anything like that. They they start in a very specific end uh undriver friendly way yeah <laughs> but um yeah so he he went into the anti-stall system on the start which lost him probably a good half second to a second um magnuson uh and hamilton collided on lap one which was pretty nuts hamilton was way up there i think he was up in like fourth up he was up pretty high and then magnuson just had a absolute rocket of a start and then went to go past Hamilton I think he got a little greedy um and then they kind of bumped into each other Magnuson went off into the gravel trap and Hamilton continued on but unfortunately had a puncture and was forced to pit at the end of the first lap as well as Magnuson who luckily got out of the gravel but also had a puncture yeah and then uh after that see oh yeah we had the uh the Bottas, sorry Schumacher, but you're not quite there yet. Uh, so he passed him pretty early on. That was kind of... I'm always pulling for Mick to to actually get up into the points, but so far it hasn't happened yet. So Yeah, he kind of got screwed on strategy this week, though. Yeah, it wasn't great. Haas didn't yeah. have a, an excellent weekend. They had a really promising qualifying, but... All said and done, at the end of the the main race, they uh, walked away a little disappointed. Yep. Um, 
Esteban Alcon also had a pretty good start to the race uh, early on. I think in the first 10 laps, he passed both McLaren drivers. Um, both of the Alpines had really good pace for the whole race, actually. Yeah, yeah, they and Alcon really especially has really been... I think I talked about this a little bit last episode, but Alcon's really been impressing me in this Alpine. Uh, he's been out racing Alonso, or at least getting more points and better results than him. And... Uh, Getting around the both McLarens early on and maintaining a pretty good race position was pretty cool to see from him. Yeah, he's had a really good season. Uh, I don't know what how to gauge where Alonso is. I feel like Alonso is pretty famously the most unlucky F1 driver of all time. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, he's got that, that uh, burden to carry. But uh, he's also been... In terms of his drives, he's driving fantastic. It's just his bet, his poor results when he's gotten poor results have been just purely luck related. Yeah, so hopefully Alpine can figure that. We can see both drivers getting into the points more regularly. Yeah, that would be ideal. And then um, on lap seven, we had Art Hoken. If 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 F one bingo, if I had that up and running, that would be the first um, spot. That would be almost the free spot. Uh, I would think lights out and away we go is the free spot. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> Carlos Sainz ended up in the gravel trap. Yeah. Wait, no. That's a bad no? thing. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we did call it last time. Sainz did find the yep. gravel. Yep. He didn't stay in the gravel this time, luckily, though. Yeah. Yeah, he kept the wheels running and uh, didn't try to do a burnout. He able to offer himself so, out of there. Yeah, it was pretty lucky to get out of that, but um, lots of drivers actually went off of that turn and got out, so I wonder if the, the gravel must just not be very deep there. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he was able to get out and uh, recover pretty well. He didn't really end up at the top where I feel like he should have been even with that, even with going off. Um, but, yeah, he was able to recover and score good points for Ferrari. Uh, following signs into the gravel was Max Verstappen on lap nine. For, he was in second place at the time and uh, got a big gust of tailwind and lost the rear of the car and uh, slid into the gravel at pretty much the exact same spot as Carlos Sainz. So I want to say probably there was another gust of wind that sent Sainz into the gravel just based on the fact that the two incidents looked pretty much identical. Yep. So, you know... <laughs> Another, you know, stain on Carlos Sainz's campaign, but I'm I'm really hoping he can turn it around and have a good race soon. No gravel in Monaco, <laughs> and he needs to do well if Ferrari yeah, wants to. There's no gravel. Stay competitive because although there's no gravel, there Charles Leclerc in Monaco. Uh, if he hadn't been keeping track of the news this past week, uh, his bad luck at Monaco continues. Yep, we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into that towards the end of the episode. Um, yeah, Leclerc and Monaco are like signs and gravel. Yeah, so signs needs to do well in Monaco, just in case. Just in case, yeah. Um, <laughs> but moving on, um, Verstappen, when he went into the gravel, was also able to get out uh, right behind Sergio Perez and George Russell, actually. Russell, at that point, was in... I guess it would have been second place, and Perez was in third, followed by Verstappen. 
And then a couple laps later, um, they told Perez to let Verstappen through, which was pretty routine at that point. Uh, they run different strategies, and so it really made sense to do it that early on. Um, so that was pretty uneventful. But they did also tell Checo, uh, notably, that they would pay it back in the future <laughs> later on in the race. One has to wonder uh, if they forgot or... Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but Russell and Verstappen both pit on lap 14 for fresh tires. Um, and then all, all of a sudden, Max Verstappen started having intermittent DRS problems. Uh, DRS is the drag reduction system. Um, if you're within one second of the car in front of you on one of the long straights on the track, uh, you get to activate your DRS system, which makes your car go faster in a straight line by a good good margin. I think it was what twenty 12? mile. I think, I think it's it was a... twenty kph, right? So yeah, it's twelve miles an hour ish. Ish, yeah. Yeah, but uh, that's not small, um, considering the size of these straights. Yeah, but... and especially with the cars so closely matched, having that much of an advantage over the mix passing much easier. Yeah, so Verstappen having these these problems and not being able to open the system when he wanted it to open um, caused him some issues and frustration. Uh, he got stuck behind George Russell for way longer than he should have. Um, but they did, because of that, they did have a pretty awesome wheel-to-wheel battle. They had a couple of them. Uh, so I would say for the fans, it ended up actually being a good thing. Yeah. But... You know, Verstappen wasn't too happy while he was unable to get a pretty simple system on his car to work. Yep. We all got to learn lots of uh, lots of fun words during the yeah. uh, radio broadcasts. Yep, very colorful. <laughs> um, but, yep, so after that, um, Verstappen kept going. He kept struggling behind George Russell. Um Mick Schumacher made a pass on Daniel Ricciardo on lap 19. Um, but then it was kind of just uh, business, um, as, business usual. as usual yeah, for about 10 laps. Until out of nowhere, uh, all of a sudden we cut to Charles Leclerc getting passed by a lap car. And we're like, what's going on? He's going really slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was pretty much... Uh, carbon copy of uh Bahrain 2019 <laughs> yeah where he was leading the race by a very 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 comfortable margin and uh his engine blew up yeah yeah just so unfortunate stroke of bad luck yeah he was ahead by over 30 seconds I think it was it was crazy he was yeah. so far ahead and then uh if you listen to it I think it was actually his turbo that that went because you hear all the yeah, you you hear it spool down right right <laughs> as the engine goes, so I don't know if that's just you hearing the turbo or the turbo exploding. Uh, uh anyway. <laughs> pretty sure a friend of mine had the same problem with his Duramax. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Those yeah. <laughs> Turbos are um, finicky. Very very. Uh, but they're fun. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, Leclerc had to retire after that, obviously. Um, so 
Russell ended up in the lead for a couple laps um, with Verstappen still in tow. Um, on lap 28, Stroll and Gasly ran into each other. It was actually Gasly's fault. He understeered into Stroll and spun Stroll around. Uh, and he got some penalty points for that one. But, um, yep, then Verstappen pit on lap 29 for soft tires, pretty much declaring to Mercedes that they were going to split their strategies between Verstappen and Perez, sending Perez on what they thought at the time was going to be a two-step race, and Verstappen on a three-step race. But uh, that ended up not really happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, they they released, when they, when they pit Verstappen, they released Perez to go attack Russell, and Perez was able to pass Russell a couple laps later. Yep. Yep, so... We had another Joe retirement. Yep, another uh, Joe retirement. That was completely not his fault. Yeah, super yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, that guy is... Something's up with his car. <laughs> it seems like he's he does really well. He gets through the first half of the race, and then his guitar... Or his guitar. His car just decides it's done. It's like, yeah, no, no, no it's, more laps for me. It's super unfortunate because we talk we talk about this every almost every single podcast at this point that Joe's a pretty good driver and that he just needs a car that will keep running past lap forty. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous at this point. I don't know what like they're putting in Bottas's car because he's not having these issues. Well, he is. It's just always in the practice sessions, so maybe he's just on yeah a different. Uh, schedule there but need to add that to the bingo card yeah Joe Joe retirement retirement was a technical issue, issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um <laughs> yeah but uh verstappen made his way through the field on the soft tires passing Bottas, and um alonzo made his way up from the back he uh passed yuki sonoda to get into the points on lap 35 yeah pretty impressive drive um, from him yeah, very impressive coming from the back all the way to score points. Really good. Um, Russell and Perez pit uh, on lap 37 and 38, respectively. Um, Russell pit to, because Verstappen was coming up behind him on the soft tires and figured uh, he would just wait to pit until Verstappen was right on his tail, which he did. And then uh, Sergio Perez pit the next lap to cover off Russell's pit stop to make sure that Russell didn't get an undercut on him. So, that was pretty standard Red Bull strategy there. But uh, after that, we had Lando Norris moving up, uh, passing Sebastian Vettel. Um, and then, on lap 46, Verstappen pit for his third stop uh, and managed to stay ahead of Russell. He had he got enough of a lead to stay in front. Um and then put on median tires on lap 46 until the end of the race. So if it was like 20 laps was the last stint. So he had fresh tires for his entire last stint, which was kind of the point of the three stop. And it ended up being a faster strategy anyway. But, yeah, uh, I kind of like the races that have that ambiguity on uh, pit strategy. It's not just everyone doing the same exact thing. There's a little wiggle room. Yeah, it's one of the benefits, I think, from Pirelli using softer compounds this year. Um, yeah. They wear out faster, so it makes strategy way more important, and uh, a lot of a lot of cars will do different things, which is what makes it fun to watch. That's uh, a lot of the reason why IndyCar is a lot of fun to watch, is because IndyCar is super strategic in that way. Yeah, for sure. 
But uh, then on lap 49, Verstappen was approaching Sergio Perez, who was in the lead of the race at the time, and uh, Red Bull told Perez to get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, oh, it was, was hard to watch. Uh, yeah, it was tough to watch. Because uh, for a little bit, Perez was ahead of Verstappen in points, and I was almost wondering... Uh, obviously, yeah. Verstappen had car troubles that prevented him from being up a little bit higher, but I was wondering if the trend would continue if Red Bull had the the guts to let Perez go for the championship. And this race pretty much answered that question. Yep, and that answer is a pretty pretty firm no, pretty I would no. say. Yeah. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens if that happens again, because Perez was very upset. <laughs> yeah, um, I would be understandably too. Understandably so. Yeah. They basically he was now to be fair to Red Bull, Verstappen was on much fresher tires and probably would have passed Perez anyway. Yes, However, but having to hand it down as a team order so early. It was so early in the race and oh. Yeah. They could have they could have oh man. They could have just said, like, yeah, you guys can race, but if you crash, you're not allowed to race anymore for the rest of the season or something like that. <laughs> just fire both drivers. Uh, yeah, you're both done. Um, yeah. <laughs> the the Haas strategy, right? We're rehiring, um, we're rehiring Ricardo and Vettel. You are gone. <laughs> bring back the glory days. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it was just so <laughs> unfortunate to see that happen with team orders. I really wish that they let Perez at least try to defend his position um but i i understand it from red bull's point of view where you don't want your two drivers who are in first and second place bringing home the maximum amount of points for your team even risking racing each other and taking both cars out of that position a la mercedes nico rosberg lewis hamilton in spain yeah at the same track yeah <laughs> um so yeah, I mean, it's understandable, but it's... It's still you know, very hard to really watch. really want to see that. Yep. Uh, very reminiscent of Austria in, I think, 2004, where Rubens Barrichello, who was a Ferrari driver at the time, was uh, in first place, followed by uh, Michael Schumacher, who you might have, might have heard of, uh, seven-time world champion. No big deal. It rings a bell. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, Schumacher was leading the championship at the time, and it was a very similar situation where Schumacher was the clear first driver and Barrichello was the clear second driver. And on the very last lap, this this is where it differs, but on the very last lap, um, you, you see Rubens slow down literally 100 feet from the finish line, wait for Michael to pass him, and then speed up to come second. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, oh... <laughs> kind of yeah. makes you like absurd yeah it makes you cringe kind of makes you grimace a little bit yeah um so you know maybe not that extreme but still was you know i don't want to see that too much from red bull yeah so hope, pretty, hopefully pretty unnecessary. They, uh, they learn a little bit and listen to some of the feedback from the drivers and they can move forward yeah. and maybe make it a bit more equitable for both yeah for sure i don't think they want to yeah, I think they want to stay on Perez's good side, too, because they've got a fantastic second driver that I don't think they want to lose. Yep, for sure. Um, 
But anyway, uh, Hamilton moved up from the back after his crash with Magnussen, um, passed Ocon on lap 51 for, I think, sixth place or something like that. Yes. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, but then after that, Russell and Perez both uh, made pit stops to go onto the soft tires with just like 15 laps to go um, to go for the fastest lap. Uh, they both wanted to try and grab that uh, for that one extra point in the championship. Um, it ended up going to Perez. But, uh, yep. Yuki Sonoda made a pass on Michael Schumacher on lap 57, I think for 10th place at the time. Mick Schumacher. Uh, did I say Michael? Yes, it's okay. <laughs> oh, my bad. I was just talking can, about him. So. We can kind of figure you meant Mick, but... Uh... Yeah, you know. Same, same, same yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of Schumachers in this sport. Um, but, anyway. <laughs> yes, Mick Schumacher. Uh... And then Hamilton and Sainz both passed Bottas on lap 58 after Bottas locked up and ran wide in turn one. Um, and then Hamilton was able to pass Sainz on lap 60. But unfortunately, he had to slow down at the end of the race considerably to cool the car down because it was overheating. And uh, they told him that if, if you don't slow down considerably, uh, you're not going to finish the race. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting seeing Russell come out over the radio saying his car was telling him to go to a, a more cooling friendly drive and it seemed like it was pretty early in a race i might have been mistaken and uh yeah. a little bit distracted but it seemed pretty early in a race that they started to have those problems yeah it was russell early on for sure um had cooling problems which he was surprised by it because usually when you get those messages in an f1 car it's when you're following behind other cars yeah, because um, you don't have the airflow going through, to the radiators. Right, they're cutting through the cold, fresh air, um, creating hot, turbulent air behind them, and the driver behind them is driving right through that, so it's not it's not cooling the car as efficiently as it could. So when drivers get these cool-the-car warnings, uh, generally you'll see them move out from behind the other car on straights, and uh, so if you see a car not slipstreaming, basically, they're, that's generally what they're doing is they're trying to cool the car down with some fresh air. Yep. Um, but, yeah, he was getting these warnings when he had no cars in front of him. So he was like, what's this? Yeah. <laughs> Why am I seeing you, this? It makes you wonder what changes Mercedes uh, made that caused the cars to uh, undergo those messages. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it was very, very hot, it was said, uh, at that track. Um, so I'm sure multiple teams were having that problem, but it was really Mercedes where the spotlight was. Um, but yeah, so he was like, what What are these cool car messages? I'm not behind anyone. They're like, oh, those are real. <laughs> yeah, those are definitely real. Pay attention. Just, to uh, just cool the car, bud. Yeah, it's fine. It's not like it's the middle of the race or anything. Yeah, it's not like you've got, you know, 30, 30 more laps to do with Verstappen less than half a second behind you. Fighting for my life out here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. But anyway, so Hamilton had to slow down so much that Sainz ended up passing him again on lap 65, which was uh, one lap before the end of the race. So I'm sure that was painful, but they did tell him, like, you have to slow down even if you have to let people pass. Like, if you want to finish the race, you have to go super slow. Yep, this cost cap era, even Mercedes has to work on trying to preserve their cars as much as possible. Yeah, that's another thing. This cost cap era is uh, 
It's going to be interesting because it's in full swing this year for the first time, I think. And we're already uh, starting to see some some big teams feel the squeeze. And, yeah, Red Bull specifically is, is feeling it big time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, the race ended up being won by Max Verstappen, followed by Perez and Russell on the podium. All right. Uh, after Russell was Carlos Sainz, followed by Hamilton and Bottas. And then Esteban Ocon, Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso, and Yuki Tsunoda in 10th place. In 11th was Sebastian Vettel, followed by Daniel Ricciardo, Pierre Gasly, Mick Schumacher, Lance Stroll, Nicholas Latifi, Kevin Magnussen, Alex Albon in 18th. And then the two DNFs were Zhou Guanyu and Charlotte Claire. All right. So, yeah, pretty pretty crazy race. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um Lots of controversy. I almost wonder if that's why it felt uh, more impactful, I guess. But even even without the controversy, the racing was much better. Yeah, I can agree on that. Yeah, it was definitely, you were definitely able to pass. Whereas in previous years, it, this track was so hard to pass at that it generally generated pretty boring races. Yeah, F1 still quite, isn't quite at the IndyCar level of... Uh, not needing DRS to pass people, but we're I think we're getting closer to even better racing in years to come. Yeah, the thing that IndyCar has that F1 doesn't have is refueling, which I think if they added refueling back into the F1, I think that would uh, eliminate the need for DRS. Can you imagine? Because that would just change strategy so much. Yeah, it'd be wild. I would love that. I think that's how they could fix the the DRS band-aid, but um, they probably won't. They might. I don't know. Or F1's under new ownership since that rule was changed, so... Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, so, this race was really another big another big uh, indicator that Red Bull has some reliability problems to work on. This time, not with their engine, but their DRS and just the, the car in general. <laughs> They're generally working their way from powertrain through the electrical system. So I'm excited yeah. to see what they have problems with next. Yeah, we'll just see the suspension fly off the car next race. Oh, that'd be exciting. Um, <laughs> uh, but scary considering where they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, Carlos Sainz is really struggling. Uh, even, even with his love of gravel and his trip through the gravel this race... Um, I feel like he should have finished higher than fourth. I uh, feel like he should have passed Russell and gotten third at the very least. Yeah. Um, in that but Ferrari. Maybe that triple to the uh, the gravel dimension really shook him. Could be. Maybe there was floor damage. It's hard to say. I know Alex Albon had floor damage. He finished uh, last. Yeah. Um, notably, Nicholas Latifi beat him, which is the first time this season. Uh, but yeah, he had floor damage, and uh, that affected his race a lot. He ended up, I think, forty seconds behind seventeenth place. So, yeah, not a fun race for him. <laughs> no, especially when he's been able to push that Williams car into points pretty recently. Yeah. Um, Leclerc had a rough week. He he did great in qualifying, but uh, got really unlucky in the race. Yeah. Um, Norris had a uh, a bit of a go of it too. Uh, reading here in the script that Norris had tonsillitis. Yes, um, it was uh, 
you know, they said early on in the weekend on Friday that um, Lando Norris had hay fever or something like that, and um, that he was feeling really under the weather, and then it just progressively got worse as the weekend went on. Oh, man. Uh, and then he raced, and then after the race, a couple hours after the race ended, it came out that he had tonsillitis. So <laughs> That's seriously impressive for him to put that current eighth place with tonsillitis. Yeah, my man had tonsillitis and probably a like a high grade fever and drove an F one car to eighth place. That's ridiculous. Yeah, good on him. <laughs> what what a feat there. <laughs> um I don't even like but, waking up in the morning with hay fever. Right. <laughs> but yeah, and then you know, another thing, the the flip side of that coin is what does that mean for Daniel Ricardo coming in twelfth? Like Yeah. Yeah, I saw an article. Healthy. Yeah, I saw an article from uh, I can't remember the the news source, but one one of the bigger ones that covers F one saying that McLaren is starting to feel a little bit less satisfied with Daniel and gave him a little bit of a warning uh, to kind of yep. try to shape up. Yep, I saw that too. Uh, Ricardo kind of given the nudge, saying, "Hey, we need you to start picking up points." Um, Mick Schumacher was also, I saw an article saying that Gunter Steiner was kind of getting on Mick Schumacher saying you need to start performing a little better. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, I have no doubt Schumacher's going to get points. He's just kind of not been there the first couple of races, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Still coming but to he's, he seems to be getting better. Yeah. And the racing from back to pack to mid pack changes a lot. So it, I think the more he's able to make those Q3 appearances, the more he's able to start earlier up, the more experience he'll get with the kind of racing that happens mid-pack. But uh, Yeah, absolutely. In terms of Danny Ricardo's position, what if... Could you see him getting... What driver, essentially, would you imagine him being replaced with? Do you think they would um, go from somebody in the grid and try to recruit from one of the other teams? Or do you see them pulling Mc- somebody up? I don't up? think McLaren would. I don't think McLaren would. I think McLaren would go for Colton Herta. Oh, yeah, um, you're right. Yeah. Because he's the development driver for them now. Yep. Um, so that would be my guess, was is Colton Herta or Padova Ward. Uh, but I don't think Padova Ward's really a candidate anymore because he said himself that he's setting his sights on the IndyCar Championship and doesn't want to distract himself with F1 right now. Yeah, that makes sense. I was thinking... So, um, Alcon yeah. too, who's kind of in that Mercedes pipeline. Alcon could make sense. Um, the reason I kind of doubt that is because Alpine's really going to want to retain him because he's French. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good but, point. Uh, but do you think he would go to McLaren if he was offered the the right compensation, or do you think the tie to Alpine's strong enough that he would stay there? I think it's really hard to say, but I think if he did replace Danny Ricardo at McLaren, I think that would be a very, very interesting teammate pairing. Yeah. Because they're very different people. I don't know if they get along. Alcon and Norris. Um, I think both drivers are very skilled, and I think uh, there'd be some fireworks. Yeah. Rampant speculation. Um, but another option, another option I see maybe happening is someone like Gasly. Um because I can only imagine Gasly wants to get out of the Red Bull system. <laughs> Unless he's getting the Red Bull seat. Yeah. I don't think he wants to drive for AlphaTauri anymore. I, I wouldn't. 
just yeah. knowing the best you can possibly do is third place. Like, <laughs> yeah. Although Gasly hasn't really been doing super well this season. Yeah, he has also been struggling. Sunoda's been mopping the floor with him, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah, so I don't even I don't know if McLaren necessarily want want Gasly. So interesting for your thought. Yeah, lots because of stuff to think about, lots of stuff to take from this race. As much as I love Ricardo, I don't know if he's much longer at McLaren. Yeah, I see a couple drivers jumping ship to go to IndyCar this year. Maybe mm. not this year, but in the future for sure. That would be uh, fun. I think I think Vettel will go to IndyCar this year. You do? I'd be shocked if he didn't. Yeah. Interesting. I don't think Vettel is done racing. I think he's just done with F1. I would like to see him go um, to WRC. Oh, that'd be sick. I think that'd be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, have Kimmy be his co-driver. Oh. <laughs> just, it's just a silent car. Yeah, no it's just no silence. communication at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I think Vettel will go... At the very least, I think he'll leave F1 this year. I don't know if he'll, for sure, if he'll go to IndyCar... Uh, I would I I would imagine Danny Ricardo will probably go to IndyCar in the future because he loves America. He yeah. loves America. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be pretty cool to see him go to IndyCar or another another series like that. Yep, I think he'd uh, do well there. Um, other than that, I don't know. Schumacher might bounce if he doesn't start improving. Schumacher uh, to Magnuson. IndyCar. Yeah. Uh. Kevin Magnuson is another one if they end up replacing him with somebody. Going, but can that's you all speculation that about roller coaster of yeah. Magnuson going straight from F1 to out of F1, then bouncing, just doing the same bounce right back in and out of Haas. Yeah, that would kind of suck. But yeah, that's all speculation at that point. I think Vettel to IndyCar is the most likely thing this year of everything that I just said. So interesting. I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Um, so after that race, Red Bull and Max Verstappen lead the world championship. So no longer Ferrari advantage. Uh, big swing. We weren't really expecting this this early, I don't think. Yeah, no, I thought it would take a little bit longer to uh, to see Red Bull pull themselves out. But apparently all it took was a, a couple of races of both drivers finishing. Yeah. And uh, Leclerc's DNF definitely helps that. Yeah, very much so. Um, but it's very marginal on both. I don't know the exact numbers. Let me look up real quick. So Max Verstappen has 110 points. Leclerc has 104. And then Sergio Perez in third place has 85. So very much a two-horse two race at the moment. But another Leclerc DNF in Monaco with a Perez win puts Perez like equal with him. So... Um, yeah anything could change yeah and then in the constructors championship red bull is actual wow i didn't know they were that far ahead uh (laughs) red bull has 195 points and ferrari has 169 points wow so they're ahead by 26 so a full race win plus fastest lap that's impressive yeah i had no idea it swung that much in one week yeah yeah (laughs) speaking of comebacks uh, Mercedes. Thoughts, opinions, predictions? Mercedes. Uh, they got rid of their porpoising problem, which is honestly probably the biggest thing for them. Um, 
they're that, that I mean this week they were so much faster they were definitely on pace with Red Bull and Ferrari I would say Red Bull Ferrari are still the fastest uh, but the gap between them and Mercedes has dropped considerably to from what I would say is about eight tenths of a second per lap to probably two yeah whereas Red Bull and Ferrari are probably a tenth apart just based on the track yeah with seemingly really good reliability well after this race, maybe not as good reliability as previous races, but it seems like out of all the teams, Mercedes has had the fewest problems with their powertrains. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. they're able to to keep the cooling issue at bay, then uh, I think with a smart race strategy and just making sure that Hamilton and Russell stay competitive, I think they could actually start to gain back a little bit of ground. I don't know if they're going to be able to come back for the championship, but at least yeah. stay a little bit closer to the top than they have been. Yeah, I think they'll. Yeah, I think they'll uh, start to rebound. I think we'll see more Mercedes podiums in the future for sure. Yep. Um, all right. So that does it for the Spanish Grand Prix. Let's go on to our segments. Starting off with overtake of the week, I gave this to Max Verstappen overtaking Valtteri Bottas at Turn Eleven in Spain. Uh, this turn, it's impossible to overtake at, and when Verstappen did it anyway, <laughs> <laughs> around the outside, it, like I, it's just it boggles my mind. Um, yeah, so this turn eleven is a very very long right hand turn, um, and it's like it's uphill I think. So the driver on the outside has like very little grip. Um, but Verstappen sent it around Bottas with the soft tires and uh, made it stick around the outside, and I'd never seen an overtake there before, so that's why I gave this to Verstappen this week. Very cool. All right. Um, pit stop championship time. Again, Sergio Perez on the top spot. <laughs> this Incredible. Man, Great job, Sergio Perez. He is the best at sitting still. The, the fastest sit there and wait. The fastest sit there and wait, yep. Um, yep, Sergio Perez uh, won this this week, gaining 25 points for himself. Uh, and Red Bull in the Pit Stop Championship, he had a time of 21 seconds, point six one nine. Um I said that's so weird, 21.619 seconds. It's a, it's a uh, regional dialectic thing. I was like, I just turned European or something there. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, 21.619 seconds. And then the next fastest was almost two-tenths of a second slower at 21.794, which was Charlotte Claire. Yeah, and um, it's like Gasly in third is the highest placing he's had in any sort of <laughs> championship, even unofficial, uh, for quite a while. Yeah. Yep, so good job to him. <laughs> uh, look at the top 10 were Perez, Leclerc, Gasly, Sainz, Alonso, Norris, Verstappen, Ocon, Russell, and Hamilton. So those are the point scores. The gap between 1st and 10th uh, was four point or point four eight six seconds. And then the gap between 1st and 20th was 2.259 seconds. Not an insignificant margin. No, and uh, Schumacher and Magnussen are at the bottom, so Haas, Haas had a bad weekend for pit stops. Yep. 
<laughs> um, considering I don't know if that really would have helped their weekend at all if they were two seconds faster. Yeah. One thing to note is when I do these, I take the fastest pit stop that they had that day, and most drivers did three stops. <laughs> and so the fastest pit stop for both Haas drivers were like two seconds slower than the fastest one. Um, <laughs> that's rough, which means the other two for each driver were slower. Uh, Haas is running good. NASCAR pit crews. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one guy running around the car. Yeah, they had to take some parts the from the NASCAR team. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, the cameraman had yeah. to pitch in and help a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's go on to our predictions for the Spanish Grand Prix and what we said last week. Um, I will go first because uh, I chose first last week, and then I'll let you do your Monaco GP predictions first. Okie dokie. All right, so my top five prediction, well, let's go back and remind everybody. The top five were Verstappen, Perez, Russell, Sainz, and Hamilton. My top five prediction was Leclerc, Verstappen, Perez, Sainz, and Alonso, with my dark horse being Russell. Yep, so at least you had Russell for your dark horse. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't do, well, I might have done a little better. Uh, I had Verstappen, Leclerc, Perez, Russell, Hamilton, with Ocon as my dark horse. So I at least was able to tag Verstappen and uh, keep Leclerc out of the top, or signs out of the top five. But unfortunately, Leclerc uh, snuck out of the race before he was able to claim a podium. Yeah, and you got Hamilton fifth, too. I'll give myself benefit of the doubt in that one. He was a bit faster. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, fastest lap prediction for this race. We both said Max Verstappen, and it was not. Who was it? <laughs> it was uh, Sergio Perez. Huh. Yep, Perez ended up with the fastest lap, if that's any consolation for what they did to him. It's uh, not. It's not at all. <laughs> uh, driver of the day, I said Fernando Alonso. Uh, and I had Russell, so at least right team. Yep, Just uh, driver. driver of the day ended up being Lewis Hamilton for going basically from last to fifth. Yep. Very good drive from him. All right, let's oh move boy. on to our Monaco Grand Prix predictions. Top five, Ben, let's hear it. Well, we all know that Leclerc isn't going to finish this race. That's a given. So let's get that out of the way real quick. So, that means it's an easier stop in first place. I think we're going to see Perez right behind him. And then there's no gravel, so Sainz, I think, could be third. I think he's a candidate for third. And I think we'll see Russell and Hamilton fourth and fifth. And, of course, as my dark horse, I'm going to have to go with Norris, actually, because... He did really well last year, and hopefully that little boost of confidence uh, spurs him forward into points. Gotcha. All right. I think my top five is going to be kind of wacky. Oh, no. Um, so, obviously, Leclerc is not going to finish the race. Uh, oh, and just because just I don't think we ever really went into it, for people who don't know, Leclerc has raced in Monaco since 2017 and has not finished a single race that he's raced there 
Yeah, um, I, I guarantee you he, every single person listening to this podcast right now has the same number of race finishes and race wins at Monaco as Charles Leclerc. Yep, the same number of championship points as well. Yep. Yep. Um, so, yeah, in 2017, there were two races. There was the F2 sprint race and the F2 feature race in Monaco. In the sprint race, Leclerc's suspension failed, and in the feature race, his electrical system failed. In 2018, he was in Formula One, and he had a brake failure and crashed into the back of another car. In 2019, he tried to make a move that wasn't very smart and crashed his car. In 2020, there was no Monaco Grand Prix because of COVID. In 2021, he did not start the Monaco Grand Prix because he crashed in qualifying, and Ferrari decided it was not a good idea to check for damage. Yep, so he went out with a transmission problem. Yep. Um, so he didn't even start the race last year. Yep, and then, <laughs> before the Monaco GP even oh, started yes. this year, he crashed Nicky Lauda's 1970s F1 car uh, due to a, a brake pad failure. Yep, another brake failure in Monaco at the same corner, Raskas. Actually, this was a different... He, he's crashed at Raskas many times, but the brake failure was at a different place. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he, in the Monaco Historic Grand Prix, either last week or two weeks ago, I can't remember, it's all running together in my head, um, <laughs> he was driving Nicky Lauda's 1970s championship-winning car worth millions upon millions of dollars. And... Uh, Brake, big brake pads uh, had a little bit of a failure, and he crashed. <laughs> Just yep. to add to his Monaco curse. <laughs> yeah, so... It wasn't even an official race, and he still couldn't finish. Sentiment is split between, well, good, Charles Leclerc got it out of his system early, and, oh no, he's reinforced it even more. Oh, I don't think there's any, any like, getting it out of his system. Because, <laughs> yeah, remember in 2017, there oh, were two yeah, races, and... Yeah. Uh, DNF both of them, so I think he's just yeah. I just don't think Monaco is uh, one he'll ever be able to finish. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> moving on to my top five predictions, I'm gonna say Carlos Sainz wins this one hmm. um, because he's a in a Ferrari, b there's no gravel, no gravel, and c he was on the podium last year. Ah, there you go. Um, so that is my reasoning there. I would say number two is Verstappen. Followed by number three. Um, I'm going to take a wild difficult. stab in the dark and say George Russell. Uh, not really wild stab, but uh, <laughs> George Russell third. And then this is where it's going to get interesting. I'm going to say Valtteri Bottas fourth. And then I'm going to say Lewis Hamilton fifth. That's just cruel. And... Daniel Ricardo is my dark horse. Wow. Okay. Putting Bottas as fourth with Hamilton fifth is a, a cruel sort of joke. <laughs> splitting the Mercedes. Yeah, splitting the Mercedes, <laughs> but putting Bottas ahead of Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, Bottas did so... He, he's really good at this track, <laughs> and he would have won last year probably if it wasn't for the 48-hour pit stop. Oh, yeah. I forgot um, about that. It wasn't a 40 yeah. hour pit stop, it was whatever 5 times 24 is. Was it 5 days? I thought it was it like. It ended up being like 5 days because they had to get it back to the factory or something. Right. Uh, so, so, anyway, it, it took a long time to get his, I think, front left wheel off, something like that. Yeah, the front left uh, wheel. The, uh, the 120 hour pit stop. 
Was it 120? Uh, they're about. Something like that. Close enough. They're about. Anyway... Yeah, longest pit stop in F1 history. Uh, but I think he'll come back. I think he's... Uh, another reason is because Alfa Romeo has a very, very good aero package. This is The true. one thing I've noticed uh, is they do run Ferrari engines, so they're very similar to Ferrari in the straights, but they pick up a lot of time in the corners. Um, just looking at split times and... Um, comparing them to other cars like the Red Bull, who are fast in a straight line, but not as fast in the corners. It's kind of interesting how that's changed. Um, Ferrari used to be the fast straight line team, with Red Bull being the corners team, and now it's pretty much the exact opposite. Yep, that'll happen when you have an alleged emission scandal kind of tank your top speed. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. All right. Um, Fastest lap prediction for Monaco... What are you thinking, Ben? Mm, it's gonna be fresh. It's gonna be Verstappen. Verstappen, okay. Um, I'm gonna say Signs. Alrighty, so uh, Red Bull v Ferrari. I'm going, yeah, I'm going on the Signs train this this week. The Signs hype train this, this has is, left the station. This is the week. <laughs> um, all right, and right, driver of the day. What do you think? That's. Hmm. I'm gonna say Bottas. Bottas. Okay. I will say. For this one, I'm gonna say. Man, it's so hard at Monaco because nothing ever happens. Um. I'll say Verstappen. <laughs> That'll be my one Red Bull, Red Bull guest this week. Already. All yeah, right. that's, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Monaco, this Sunday, early a.m. Be uh, there. I'm probably going to fall asleep, to be honest. Uh, yeah, no. I always do. I'm going to try watching it live, and then I'm going to fall back to sleep and then watch. end up watching it at 2 o'clock in the afternoon like usual. Yeah, well, don't do that, because at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the Indy 500 will be running. Ah, dang it. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, very, very, very busy Sunday we got coming up, so that'll make for a fantastic podcast next time. Yep. <laughs> It'll be good to watch while I'm painting, or at least helping to paint uh, body panels. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe just standing around and watching other people who are far better at it than me paint them. <laughs> yeah, painting cars is uh, tough. It's so difficult. Yeah. How is that going, by the way? Your racing season, what's going on? Oh man, well, calling it a racing season is a bit generous, but uh, we finished up most <laughs> well, yeah. of our most of our pre-paint testing uh, this past weekend. It went pretty well. We didn't have many major problems. Uh, both me and the other endurance driver are one for one on blowing up our chain tensioners, so that's going mm. swimmingly. And it took our team all of about two hours to completely disassemble the car and get it stripped down and. We'll uh, scrub everything down and get it ready for paint this weekend before we put it back together for the unveiling. And then we're off to Michigan, the long haul, for a competition. Wow. Fun stuff. Where at in Michigan? Uh, we'll be racing at the Michigan International Speedway. Uh, it'll be nice. a bunch of cones in the middle of the speedway, but it'll be at the <laughs> speedway venue, at least. That's still cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, the less cool thing is the 36-hour drive there and back, but we'll manage. Oh, I love road trips, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> mm. Yeah, maybe not non-stop. Yeah, non-stop's a little, a little intense for a day and a half. <laughs> yeah, but it'll be fun. Yeah, it will, I'm sure. Um, all right, well, you got anything else you want to tell the lovely people, Ben? Mm, wear sunscreen. If it's sunny outside, or even if it's overcast, you can still get burnt. Yep. Science facts with Ben. Yep. Also, stats with Ben, Verstappen has still won every single race yes! he's finished. I almost forgot about that. This is, yep. Yeah, this is better than I ever could have imagined. Yep. The the streak continues. <laughs> yep. Um, when will it end? Looked like it wasn't. It looked like it was going to stop there for a second. But uh, then Leclerc's like, nah, the streak's more important. You got to keep the faith. Yep. All right. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening to this episode of Rev Hang. If you'd like to follow our thoughts and opinions on the motorsport world, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Rev Hang Media. If you have any thoughts or questions about racing or even about us, post a tweet at hashtag Rev Hang Podcast, and we may feature your question on the next show. If you'd like to learn more about Ben's race car, you can follow his team at OIT Racing on Instagram. You can also follow Ben on Instagram at Benji Meets World and or myself at 2N underscore squared. While you're at it, go check out our website, RevHang.com, where you can find updated standings for the racing series we talk about, along with our horrific predictions for the F1 season. And just a side note on that, if you have checked the website in the past and saw our predictions page, it has been updated and now includes all of the predictions that we make for every single race individually. Yay! Yay! More data. Um... <laughs> Uh, we'll return in a week to talk about the always riveting Monaco Grand Prix and the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500. But until then, I have been Nathan. And get your celebrity bingo cards ready for the race this weekend. Thanks for hanging out, guys. <laughs> See you later. <laughs>